This week's episode of the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast is an interview where Brent Lacey interviewed me on his The Scope of Practice podcast. Brent's The Scope of Practice business aims to educate his fellow physicians on financial health and fiscal responsibility. And in this interview, we discuss the economic benefits of physician ownership in the real estate where a clinician practices, as well as physicians becoming real estate investors. Brent is also a practicing physician at Texas Digestive Disease Consultants. This is the Providers, Properties, and Performance Podcast, the podcast that brings together leaders in healthcare and investment real estate to consider the possibilities and future at the intersection of practicing medicine and healthcare real estate investment returns. Welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance Podcast. I am your host, Trisha Talbot. As a healthcare real estate advisor to providers and investors, the best solutions occur when the two collaborate together as partners in delivering better patient care. Providers can deliver care to their patients when and where they need it, and investors realize the returns to build and manage facilities. We explore changes in medicine and wellness, the future of healthcare, and using real estate as a strategic and financial tool. My wife and I lived in apartments and rental homes for 11 of the first 14 years we were married until we finally bought our current home earlier this year. Man, are we glad to be done with that. It was a long and involved process. But you know, over the years, I've talked to a bunch of friends that have either bought or built houses, and they all agree that the quality of the experience really depends on your realtor. Unfortunately, we had a really great one. But you need someone in your corner to help you make the right decision. That can be the difference maker. But the same holds true for your business. You're buying a several hundred thousand dollar or million dollar plus asset, and you want to make the right decision. And that's why I'm so excited to have today's podcast guest to coach us on how to buy or build the right building for our medical practice. Let's kick in. Hey, y'all. I am so excited to welcome my guest today to the Scope of Practice podcast. She's a healthcare real estate advisor and founder of Doc Properties, Trisha Talbot. Trisha, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So, Trisha, I'm, I'm really fascinated to talk to you about this subject. I think at some point in the private practice journey, everybody at least starts to consider the idea of owning their own building. And maybe that's at the very, very beginning of their journey, you know, they're opening their practice, like I'm going to build something, I'm going to buy something, I'm going to do it right now. Or maybe they start off just leasing and then eventually they get to a point where they're like, you know, I would love to just have my own space. And I think it's something that we always consider. But the thing that was that was interesting to me was to realize that, you know, after talking to you for a bit is that there's people that specialize in this. It's it's so funny to think about that because when I think about folks in, in real estate, I think about you know commercial versus maybe residential, but I never thought about it getting significantly more specialized than that. But you really deal with medical real estate primarily. like That's your niche thing. How did you come to specialize in medical real estate? Why is that so exciting for you? Well, I started out wanting to get into commercial real estate and there's various flavors of that. And I I wasn't quite sure exactly what I wanted to do. And when I was finishing up my graduate degree, I worked for a developer of medical office buildings. And I actually did a marketing report for a new on-campus building that they were developing. And then I started to work in their leasing department. And I felt you know, like I had found, I had found my calling. I really enjoyed working with physicians. I I felt like I was one, I was doing good. You know, I was helping them find space and operate 
uh, the thing with medical office that's different with the other uh, flavors is, you know, that it is mission critical and demand driven. And there's obviously other re- real estate that is mission critical and demand driven, but uh, physicians, they cannot do procedures out of their home. You, you know, if you need emergency services, you have to go to a hospital, you have to go to a facility to have surgeries. And even with telehealth being an, I think, a tool that will, I think, enhance uh, healthcare, you have to go to a physician for an in-person exam. So I felt that this was a part of real estate that was going to, um, you know, back when I started, it was to the dot-com boom, but I was seeing that technology was becoming so prolific. And I'm like, you know, at at some point, not everyone's going to have to come into an office to work, you know, if they don't need to. And that's not going to happen with healthcare. It, It can't functionally it can, it cannot so um, and more I got into it and you know just just helping these physicians they're working all day long and they do need some help and they need the information quickly they need accurate information they need to make um, decisions they don't have time necessarily nor do they have a desire to want to go and um, some do but typically at the end of your day of seeing patients all day you don't want to have to come home and figure out all of this real estate stuff. So if you have someone that says, hey, you know, during the day, there's these five documents you need to look at. Here's what you really need to pay attention to. Here's what I would send to an attorney. Here's what I would, you know, have, you know, I would recommend sending to a contractor. Just, you know, take a look at them, let me know. And then also I will then, you know, send them to all of these advisors for you, obviously copying you on all of them, but really sort of taking, taking things off of, their plate. Um, And then at the end of the day, you know, altruistically helping them care for people. So it really became like this full circle. I felt like I was doing something good, also helping these um, busy professionals. And I like working with them. They are um, highly educated. They uh, are fast paced for the most part, uh, like to get things done. And, you know, it, it was just a great connection with who I am and so it, it, it kind of blossomed from there. Well, that's wonderful. Well, let's dive right in and talk about this concept of buying up medical spaces, buying up a medical facility, owning your own piece of real estate. And in any kind of business venture, there's going to be really two things that prevent us from doing something. One is going to be time and one is going to be money. So let's talk about the time aspect of things first, because the the number one thing that I hear from physicians is... I just don't have time to add something else on my plate. I'm mm-hmm. they're they're wall to wall with patients. They've got all these different quality metrics they got to be meeting. They've got all these different credentialing things, and there's just there's just there's no time to think about this stuff, and there's no time to think about the idea of running your own space, you know, and having your own uh, real estate, your own facility. So, how does a clinician own medical facilities? and still practice medicine? <laughs> well, that's that's kind of literally the million dollar question. So I work with, uh, like, for example, I spoke to um, a hand surgeon yesterday, he and his son are in a practice, and they are looking to open a surgery center in a medical office, but then want to bu- buy a bigger building to also have an in- income investment. And uh, on that scale, you know, SBA is a great is a great tool for the money part. Uh, But the time part, you know, when I asked, and this is the question I always ask, you know, do you still want to practice medicine during the day? And do you want to have a part-time job of managing the real estate afterwards? And most 
typically don't if they're still actively practicing. Quite honestly, they would make more money doing more surgeries than they will managing their real estate. So there are proper there's professional property managers that that also specialize or have a primarily focus on managing healthcare properties. And and that has to do with the fact that hazardous waste um, is has to be um, a part of a medical office building, but also, you know, cleanliness, especially I think now um, out of the pandemic, you know, medical office buildings typically have to be really clean. And, you know, it's just, I think you feel better as a patient going into a building that is clean versus not. A lot of medical practices do their own janitorial, but they have to do a really good job. They have to have access at night. You know, there's just certain things that have to be managed. Um, if you have a surgery center, that's a whole different level of, of cleaning that needs to be taken into account. So, yeah, there are there are people that can help these clinicians manage the day-to-day. There's property, you know, the property manager not only handles the vendors for janitorial, but they do property accounting, which is a huge thing, collect the rents, send out late notices if needed, you know, manage the budget for them. So they they really don't have to be in the day-to-day. They can just meet maybe quarterly with their property manager or monthly if they want to, depending on how hands-on they want to be. But developing a relationship with a good property management company so that they don't have to be in the day-to-day weeds of managing a piece of real estate. Nice. And I guess as an alternative to that, if someone had, say, an office manager or someone who was a facilities manager, maybe for a larger practice or an operations manager for a smaller practice, something like that, someone else that could take that off their plate while so they can focus on medicine, I think that would probably do about the same thing. So that definitely makes that concept more accessible. So, okay, so let's talk about the money side of things mm-hmm. then. So one of the things that I've, I know a lot of people like to do when they're first, especially when they're first starting out is instead of buying a place or building a place, they'll lease some medical space. And there's some advantages to that, but the downside is that you don't own your own place. You can't design it the way you want. And so it's, it's, there's, there's some pluses and minuses. Can you kind of walk us through when you're sitting down with someone and they're contemplating buying versus leasing? What are some of the pros and the cons of those two strategies from a money standpoint? So it really, it also depends on the specialty. So if it's more of um, like a community medicine, like family practice, internal medicine, OBGYN, uh, pediatrician, you know, they can go into a second gen, if they're starting out on their own, they can typically find a second generation space that is probably about 90% there. And they might be able to, with paint and carpet, make it their own. When you get into more, I would say there is like a procedure room in if they're doing any imaging, what's so imaging um, has has a ton of expense. But what happens is you start analyzing the amount of tenant improvements that the practice will have to spend inside a a building. And when you analyze that, sometimes those costs are incredibly expensive. I mean, plastic surgeons that do do some procedures in their office, um, just like I had mentioned this hand surgeon, they want to have two ORs in a procedure room. Uh, That is an expensive build out. And when you start taking the common sense approach and saying, hey, I'm going to dump, you know, 150 to $185 a square foot into a building, and I don't own it. And after 10 years, I have to probably sign some more time onto that lease. You know, it's like, well, you know, if I bought a building, and even if it's an adaptive reuse, where you're just buying a shell of something, gutting it down to the walls, and then building it out, over that same 10 years, 
it kind of makes sense to some degree and depending on where you live to own the building rather than put those TIs in and then lease the building. You build equity. You know, there's a lot of things that a practice may go through. They might become part of a bigger practice. Um, maybe a hospital will buy them, you know, and if they, if they have their own building, you know, it just makes it a lot easier. There's obviously you can refinance throughout the time. Uh, but I think if your if your cost for tenant improvements is high enough, it really I think gives you more flexibility and I, I would say stability and and also just in better use of your investment dollars to own own your property too. Yeah, and certainly that's that makes sense from a long term standpoint. And it's the same kind of thing with residential real estate. In the long run, home ownership is an important cornerstone for any financial plan. You just do better if you're putting money into a property that you actually own as opposed to renting forever. But on the front side of things there, you know, as you're first getting started, as you're, you're newly in practice or you're as a student or as you're newly married, those kinds of early, you know, transition times, there's a lot of value in renting because maybe you don't know what you want and you'll make a more informed decision if you've rented for a little while and you can live in a place and see what you're, what kinds of things you want. And you're, you're saving money. You're able to make a, a more informed decision, especially if you're just moving to a new area. Cause a lot of people, you know, they go, let's say they graduate from um, a residency program in Chicago and they decide to move down to Miami where they're closer to family, but they don't know the market very well. So they'll make a more informed decision if they've been living there for a couple of years and can see what the traffic patterns are and where people live and where their practice is evolving and things like that. So yeah, I, I definitely see that's a, a lot of thought needs to go into that decision. Yeah. And the capital side, you'd mentioned about the capital side. So, you know, if you're uh, just a single practitioner, your practice of maybe, you know, a handful of physicians, you know, SBA is a, is a great tool to get started and they have whole programs specifically for physicians and healthcare companies. And then, you know, if you are bigger than that and, you know, a several million dollar company, you, you've got obviously um, some track record. There are, there's a whole host of private real estate investors that specialize, like they will actually joint venture and bring the capital to a development. So if you're a practice and you've got some financial strength and some, and they will partner with you so that you don't actually have to outlay the capital. They do want a commitment. Um, there will be some sort of either you know, shared capital investment, maybe a lease or, or something like that. But there is a way to get some joint venture capital that allows you to still have some control and ownership into the building, but you, you partner with these capital providers and experienced developers that can really help you. I think that's one of the things that, um, you know, physicians wrestle with is that they're like, I have to you know, take on all this debt, I have to go, you know, I'm already in debt, and then I have to take on all this other debt. Like, when does it ever stop? And that I think starts to get analysis paralysis and prevents them from expanding if they want to do that. But if they do have an expansion plan, there's always a way to do it and find a capital partner that works with them. Not all are the same. But you know, there can be somebody, you know, like myself that understands the personality of a practice and then knows the partners that might make the most sense for them to talk with and and put them together. Yeah. And so we had an episode 48. We had uh, Mark Reibolt on from the Coker Group talking about private equity. And we talked extensively about the importance of really selecting the right partner because it is mm -hmm. easy, 
easy to find the wrong partner and end up getting hosed in the long run because you just didn't do your due diligence. So yeah, it, it can be very helpful, but definitely need to um, do some serious research and make the right choice there. Okay, so definitely got a, a good sense of leasing versus owning your own place. Now let's break down owning a little bit further. If you want to own your own place, you got a couple of options. You could buy an existing space or you could build your own place from the ground up. Um, and there's some pluses and minuses to both options. So maybe you could walk us through how you think about that and how do you coach people on which uh, is the best option for them at that time. So when you're looking at uh, building a building, there is the cost of the shell and then the cost of the tenant improvements. And then uh, along with the cost of the shell, there is hard, obviously the hard cost of constructing it, but then there's the soft costs of architectural fees. And there's always people that need to manage the project. So there's some project management fees as well. So if you can buy a building with a shell already intact, even if you gut out the entire inside and start from scratch, it typically is cheaper than building a building from from scratch and, and the tenant improvements. Obviously, you have to take into consideration the supply of available buildings and or land and where it is in relation to where you want to be and, and what that supply looks like, and then figuring out how you know what options are available. Doing adaptive reuse on retail has been a trend in healthcare that has taken off just because retail typically has the parking, has the visibility that a lot of practices are looking for in healthcare companies. As you see, like a lot of the hospitals have done these urgent care centers right on some corners, just sort of like a CVS Walgreens plan that helps people just patients have easy access and can find them. So you know, when you're taking into consideration all those costs, if you can find an existing building and just pay for the hard and soft costs of the tenant improvements, and then, you know, if you buy the building, buying a building is typically less than building it, depending on, the court. again, it's depending on the market. And that's where, you know, when the prices of buildings become too high, it makes sense to build them from scratch. And if the prices of existing buildings are low, based on market conditions, it's cheaper to buy an existing building and build it out from there. So a lot of it has to do with, I would say, location, market conditions, and then the costs associated with with both of those, depending on the market. Well, that's all important things to be considering. It's it's a lot. There's a lot that goes into that. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it, in episode 56, we talked to a guy named Steve Anderson, who does construction, mainly for dental offices, but a lot of medical offices too. Um, so we talked extensively about uh, what goes into building a building. So if anybody wants to get more information on that, definitely go check out episode 56. It was really, really good as well. So, okay, well, let's let's kind of get more specific here. So now we've decided, let's say, that we want to buy a place or we want to build a place. The classic axiom in real estate is location, 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 right? It's mo three most important things. So how do you pick the right location? What are some factors that go into that decision? Well, the first thing I would say is I'm hoping that every practice, you know, with all of the patient data that they're looking at, they do have some sort of idea of where their patients are coming from. And I know it, it's kind of um, between where the patients are coming from and then where you want to also as a physician where you want to commute to. And I think that there's a balance. For example, when I, um, I've had some conversations with physicians that have a lot of workers comp patients. so 
that is, and they need to be in more of a blue collar area, but they themselves live someplace else. So there's like a happy medium where they can, they have a geographic target zone in order to be able to make it easy for their patients to get to them. But then also, you know, it's not uh, too far of a drive for, for them on a day to day basis. So a, a lot of it, I would say the first thing you need to do is find out where your patients are coming from and then where you are driving to, what is your daily route, and then, you know, kind of find some target areas to consider from there. There's some practices also that need to be a certain distance from the hospital or they need to be across from the hospital. Uh, that obviously has to, to t- be taken into consideration as well. But typically, I would say outpatient, you should my common sense says find out where your patients are and see see how you can make it easy for them. Well, that's really logical. It definitely makes a lot of sense. It also, I think there's something to the notion of finding out where the city is going. And so <laughs> to that end, going down to your city planner's office, city manager's office, what's the overall plan for the city? And so if you build a location that's on the, say, the south end of town, but the entire expansion plan is northward, then in five years or 10 years, you're going to be at the fringe of where your where your primary patient base is going to be. And mm-hmm. so starting to think ahead of, of those kinds of things is going to be important too. Absolutely. Well, how do we start to incorporate that kind of long-term strategic thinking into the buying decision or into the building decision? Because we don't want to move seven times over the course of 20 <laughs> years, right? It is, it, it, A, it's a humongous hassle. B, it's expensive, right? It's a lot more expensive to buy a new place or build a new place than it is to just maintain the place that you have. So ideally, if you're going to build a place or buy a place, you want to have some place that you're going to stay for a long time, 10 years, 20 years, maybe longer in some cases. And you know, not every place is going to be your forever location necessarily, but definitely want to think far enough ahead that you're making some strategic moves towards ability to expand, you know, being in the right location, that kind of thing. How do we start to incorporate that long-term thinking? What are some of those factors that we need to be considering on a five and 10 and 20 year time horizon? So if you are in a lease that you have three years or less on, I would say you want to start thinking now what you want to do then. The high level is give yourself enough runway to make these decisions because one, it will cost you less in the long term. Two, you have more time to do due diligence. You have more time to interview vendors. You have more time to consider different options and then make the best decisions ahead of you. So I used to do a lot of leasing and, and, you know, these physicians are like, yeah, I have 30, I've got a 30 day notice from my landlord. I need to find a place. You're like, oh my gosh. I mean, just to build out, just if you've find, I mean, getting a lease and doing a build out, that is a six to eight month process and the six month process being on the on the low end. If you're it's because you have to find the place, you have to get a lease, you have to negotiate the lease, and then you have to do the build out and depending if you need permits and stuff like that. And when you're considering buying a place, that's even I, I think you need you need a, a lot more runway. You need time to obviously find a deal, negotiate a deal, not be pressured. I mean, the, the the worst thing in real estate is to be in a position of negotiating without any other options, just because you don't know until you get into negotiations, how it's going to go. You don't, after an inspection of a building, there might just be too much that you don't want to repair. Um, you know, if there's cracks in the concrete and you know, the person you're buying it from doesn't necessarily want to repair it. Those are things you just don't want to be left without any other options and forced to have to 
only make a decision on the option in front of you. So I personally like to have options for, for my clients to consider. Um, and maybe they're not all the, uh, the all the same. There can be an adaptive reuse option. There can be, you know, a piece of land that you would buy and build. And then, you know, a, a third option and really sort of analyze one, the cost associated with it and how it's going to fit into their long-term plan. So when you're getting towards three years or less on your lease, or if you're in a lease, that's when I would start thinking about it. If you, you're in a building and you are looking to get another building, I would just say, make sure that you give yourself like a three-year buffer before you start you know, telling your patients you're going to have another building closer to where they live, um, just so that you give yourself the time to find the right place and have some options to consider. Nice. I think that's really, really smart advice. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about the upside to owning and buying your place. I mean, there's obviously the something to be said for the fact that you can just design it how you want. You can make it out how you want to a certain extent, depending on if you're buying or building. But let's talk about the financial upside to it. So what kinds of returns should we be able to reasonably expect from a piece of real estate that we own? So it all depends on how you buy it. But typically, you can see IRR returns of 16%, but that's a range. So, you know, I don't want everyone to, to, because it can go anywhere from 8% to sometimes 23. But, you know, typically a good real estate investment has an IRR that's around 15, 16%. It's an internal rate of return, which that's a whole other, that'll take a whole other episode to explain. Um, But there is a ton of upside to having equity. You can also continue to recapitalize it and refinance and pay down your loan or or things like that. And then, you know, when you are done practicing, you know, at this point, I would say you have a, you have a network or maybe even you've hired some younger physicians and you can somehow, you know, dep- depending on your succession plan, if it's an internal succession plan, you can sort of get out of the operational part of the business, but still own the real estate as an option and have cash flow. If you do end up at the end of practicing, you could probably find another uh, medical group to take over the building. And you can then, then you can either sell the building with the lease to an investor or you as the investor can keep it. So I think it gives you a lot of options for future cash flow and return on investment. Nice. Yeah. The, uh, the internal rate of return is certainly a complex process, but yeah. So the, the overall returns of, you know, six, 16, 23%, I mean, that's, that's got to get people excited, I would think. So that's, that's really good to hear. So how do we then position ourselves to take advantage of that higher, IRR. So, because, you know, we, if we want to get that 8% return, a lot of the money is made when we buy it and we are hopefully getting a good deal, but a lot of the money is going to be made for selling it for top dollar. And so how do we position that medical space to be, have maximum attractiveness? So we shoot for that 16, 20, 23% uh, level of that range. So the first thing is you, you need to main keep the, the property in, in good condition. Um, you don't want to neglect it and then have 20 years of deferred maintenance that, that, that ends up being incredibly expensive and either you pay for it or 
the you discount the price when you're trying to sell it. Uh, selling it with a lease in place to either an in, to an investor is where you can I think you can get the highest and best. And you from an income standpoint, the the lease should be market rate. And with Stark laws, you always have to be at market rate anyway. But you you need to be at market rate, and you need to have I would say a very well managed building. The operating expenses can kill you. So I would make sure that you, you know, HVAC is a huge, like electric utilities, they are huge. Um, property taxes, you know, you know what your your property taxes are in your municipality, you know, making sure they're paid is one thing, what they are is a cost. Um, but it's, that's a cost that's associated with the market and it's known, you know, having competitively priced building insurance, you know, and then as far as your vendors, I mean, you should every year or every couple years really do a review of, of your vendor costs and make sure that they're still competitive. And then, you know, obviously, if they're not performing well, you know, make a change, but really managing your building from an expenses standpoint, because the lower the expenses, the higher the value. So there's a balance between making sure that it's well maintained, but that you're not overspending with when it comes to expenses. Right. No, that makes sense. Okay, so let's think about the timing of it then. So so obviously, if we're planning on moving out of our current space and into a new space, then the time to sell is whenever we're ready to move out. And that makes sense. But I've definitely talked to a lot of folks, and certainly we've done this in our group, where you, you build a, a building for, say, an office building or a surgery center or an infusion center or for whatever the purpose is. And you own it for some period of time, the value of the asset hopefully appreciates, and then you sell it and then lease the space back from the company you're selling it to. So you basically get this you know, big payoff, hopefully, of having sold the place, but you remain in the same location uh, just as a renter instead of as, a, as an owner. When is it time to make that move where we transition from owner to renter, but in the same location? If, if you were talking to one of the investors that uh, would buy this, they would say, well, we want 12 to 15 years of a lease term. You really need just 10 and sometimes five. But for the ones that know what they're doing and will likely over the long term be a better match, I would say when you're looking at your next 10 years and say you have several buildings and you have different partners that own different pieces of each building and it just like that sort of it might just be easier to say, hey, why don't we do a sale lease back now? Or, well, there's two reasons to do a sale lease back. One, to get the equity out now. So every you just put, you put them up for sale, you put 10-year leases on them, there's investors that will, will buy them. If they're in good, con- good physical condition, you as a practice are financially healthy, that's when you can compress the cap rates and get incredibly top dollar because you're selling it with the lease in place. The other reason is if you're a practice and you're like, we need to expand, but we, you know, for whatever reason, you don't want to use other capital resources. It's it's almost a way to self-fund your expansion because, again, you can get the equity out of your buildings in the same structure and then use those to maybe you want to buy, maybe you have three buildings that you want to do this to so that you can expand with three other buildings. So there's a lot of different ways to use a sale lease back, but it is the way to get a lot of your equity now. A lot of practices like it when they're 
say at the end of 10 years, they're like, you know, I don't want to deal with finding another tenant and I don't want to manage the building. So I don't want to deal. I just don't, I want to be done with it and I want to move on. And some people that's attractive to them. So they say, Hey, you know, in 10 years when I'm done practicing, I want to be out. And it's kind of the same scenario as, you know, maybe you have different partners invest because there's the LLC of the building and then there's the operating company, which is the practice. So there might be different investors in the LLC of the building than there are physicians practicing in the practice. And if there's, for some reason, if the LLC is like, you know what, we don't want to deal with figuring out what we want to do with this building. Sometimes they want to sell it too, because they're going to be getting bought by a hospital. Well, that's a win-win when an investor gets hospital grade, um, a hospital grade tenant too, but they don't, at the end of the day, they just want to be employed physicians and be done with the real estate. So it's a tool. It's a definite tool. Um, I would say you need to use it for specific use. I mean, you have to have, you have to have the end goal in mind when you're doing it to structure it properly. Gotcha. That's, that's a uh, good advice there. So when we're thinking about owning a piece of property, how, how do we structure the legal ownership? Do we need to uh, do we own it personally? Do we own it through the business? Does the business own it? Should we separate the business and the real estate and have like a separate LLC that owns just the real estate separate from the business? What's your recommendation for that? So I'm going to first qualify this answer with I'm not an attorney or an accountant. And I do recommend that your real estate decision is aligned with the advice of those two functions. Typically, what I see is that the real estate, the piece of real estate is owned in an LLC, regardless of if it's the same uh, physicians that practice in the in the operation or not, but that it is in an LLC just for liability reasons. And then all of the real estate for, you know, the, the rent is collected through the LLC and the expenses are paid through the LLC. So it does serve like an entirely different function. And then, you know, the operating practice is owned, however, it makes sense for, for the providers in the operating practice, but they are typically different. What that allows is that they're two separate business functions and the real estate, you could make decisions on the real estate independent of the practice. So that's what I typically see and that I typically hear um, attorneys recommending to their clients. Well, it's certainly cleaner that way and easier to make some separations if you, you know, if you're thinking of them as separate ent- entities, especially if you want to start to sell, trying to figure out how to disentangle the real estate portion from the business portion could get very tricky very quickly, I could imagine. Well, yeah, I mean, if you have, if you're a large practice and you've got 20 partners, you know, that's, that's tough to get any sort of um, consensus for a real estate decision. And, and not everybody wants to be a part of the real estate either. So I think it also offers some flexibility to say, hey, if you want to invest in the real estate, you know, we divide it into units, however, your practice wants to divide those, you know, based on seniority or based on whatever, or equal, you know, it just allows for some different options. Nice. If people are looking for a healthcare real estate advisor, someone to really walk them through this kind of thing, what would be some questions that we should ask or some things we should look out for, or maybe some red flags to help us figure out who's the right person to ask? Because just like with any physician, you've got a lot of different options, right? And so, uh, and there's going to be varying levels of excellence uh, in any industry. So how do we pick the right person to advise us through this process? 
So the first question I would ask is, have they ever done a medical deal before? And what was it, you know, in real estate, just I mean, like you had mentioned in our episode, I think it gets commoditized where everyone's like, well, you know what, my sister has a realist residential real estate license. So she can go and you know, she can technically transact a commercial property. And and I've recently had this experience, they made a change because they had, um, it was more of a family and friends. The, the realtor was a residential agent and didn't have, you know, she wasn't tuned in. There's a, there's a lot of um, some off market stuff that, that we know different, you know, little movement and practices that may be coming up. You know, I get calls that say, Hey, you know, this is an official, but I want to give you a heads up. If you can find someone to um, take over this, I would be interested. And you know, they don't necessarily want to market it for whatever reason in the open market, but they do, you know, want people to be aware of it. So those things happen. Plus, I would say you, you want, I mean, so if they've done it before, you want them to know the market and in commercial real estate, um, medical office in a lot of firms falls under office, but it really isn't. There's a whole different set of research. There's obviously different players, it's more fine tuned than that. So if they if they don't, if they're not in tune with the market conditions of medical office in their market, you could get into a stressful situation. And there's certain landlords, like there's a lot of properties that the landlords they market as office and medical that are not medical at all. And some Medical groups may go in there, but I, if they do, I guarantee that they're paying a lot of their own tenant improvements out of their pocket because different, if it is a true medical office building, while they, you will have to pay higher rents, the TI package is significant versus going into a building that is owned by an office owner that has only underwritten, you know, carpet and paint or 10 to $15 in tenant improvements, you know, because as a healthcare company and, and medical practice, you're not necessarily wanting to use all of your operating capital on building out your space. You actually want it for your business. So it's a a different animal and there's, there's investors and landlords and architects and a whole host of um, people that do focus on medical office. And if there isn't one in your market, you can get an architect that isn't necessarily in your market contractors, I would say you you do, but there is a network of uh, contractors that specialize in medical office that could likely give a good referral. So there's different ways to make it happen so that you have the proper advisors. And because at the end of the day, the mistakes will cost you um, and not anybody else to pay for those. Yeah. And we're talking about in a lot of cases, probably in nearly all cases, a middle to large six figure asset that we're talking about dealing with. And so, you know, going cheap on the person who gives us the the best advice and coaches us through this process seems to be a hazardous approach to me because if you're not getting, you know, if you're not getting the right advice, then it could cost you five times what it costs to to pay the right person. (laughs) Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and, you know, when you go even throughout the whole life cycle, I mean, when you're buying it, but then when you're selling it too, I mean, I have buyers that this is all they do and they can analyze a medical office property and they can understand the tenant mix, even if they don't understand the specific tenant itself, you know, depending on the specialty and they know what they're doing. And at the end of the day, they'll also be a good owner. So especially in like a sale lease back, you want to make sure whoever is buying your building understands that you're a healthcare 
practice and there's some nuances into that. You know, you have to have some good communication. I mean, your tenants, they are, they're hardworking, they're highly educated, they're financially strong. You you want to be partner. Like the best situation is when they say that they want to be a partner. I'm sure that you, you yourself, you know, when a landlord just sends a letter, like that they're going to be doing some, just as an example, hey, we need to do like maintenance on the HVAC systems. Like when you're, when you're managing, when you're, when you have a medical tenant in there, you kind of want to say, hey, when would be the best time? We have to do this HVAC maintenance, but when would be the best time for your practice? Likely not on a Wednesday at 2 p.m., but maybe <laughs> right. Saturday, you know, and for, you know, maybe Saturday morning would be better, you know? I mean, so just things like that, that, you know, you have to take into consideration. Nice. Well, Trisha, this has been very, very helpful. And I, I know that there's a lot of people out there listening that are really going to get a lot out of this because this is absolutely something that everybody thinks about at some point during their private practice journey. So thank you so much for coming on. If people want to connect to you, want to get connected to the podcast, you know, more of your content, want to learn more from you, continue the conversation. How can people do that? Absolutely. So my website, it's docproperties, docproperties.com. You can get to the podcast from there, which has both physicians and investors that specialize in this asset class uh, where you can get some information. And then the best way to get hold of me um, is through email. And my email is ttalbot, T-T-A-L-B-O-T at docproperties.com. Dot com and happy to you know brainstorm with anyone that's looking at, um, has some questions to ask. I, I try to be is super helpful. Awesome. Well, this has been great. We'll make sure to include all of your links in the show notes and in the podcast description so that people can get a hold of you and uh, get more content from you. Well, that was Trisha Talbot, uh, founder of Doc Properties. Make sure you connect with her, uh, learn more, listen to that podcast. It's got great stuff on there. And um, yeah, just continue that conversation. Trisha, thanks so much for coming on the Scope of Practice podcast today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. I'm grateful for you tuning in to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast with others. As a disclaimer, this podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only and not intended for specific real estate investment advice.